The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 156. Indianapolis is the only major city in the United States that is not located on a river. Indianapolis. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who has crossed America with $5 in his pocket and then did it again by giving free cab rides to anyone who wanted one and who is determined to get your inner rebel to come out and play. Leon Logothetis from leonlogothetis.com. Leon, thanks so much for coming on today and welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. We're going to get some of those inner rebels out today for these listeners, right? <laughs> that's, that's the plan. And if you guys out there are wondering, how the heck am I going to remember to spell Leon's last name? Don't worry. We will have everything linked up in the show notes. As always, you can get all that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Everything we talk about in the show today, Leon's website, the book, all the great stuff we're going to talk about that will be linked up in the show notes at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pod. So no worries on spelling Leon's last name. I'm sure you get that quite often, huh, Leon? I do, actually. And Leon, you know, you do a lot of things. If you guys go to Leon's website, it's, it's an awesome website, really well set up, really visually stunning, and you have a lot of different adventures. So when someone asks you, what do you do? How in the heck do you answer them? You know what? That is a pretty excellent question. And uh, I'm always asked, like, so what do you do? Because you know how that's a question that people tend to ask. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm an author. I'm a TV host. But really, I'm just a traveler. Yeah. And I think that sums it up pretty well. I've actually started telling people when they ask me what I do, that I'm a professional traveler. And then, of course, they, you know, they don't understand what that means. So we go into it. But I think that same as you, it sums it all up. I just travel and I find other ways to do different things. So for you, where did it start? I mean, this idea of travel and the, and the TV shows and the books and everything that's come since then, how did your desire to travel, where did your desire to travel first come from? You know, I used to be a broker in the city of London and I found myself to be very disconnected from life, uh, very depressed um, and truly following someone else's dream. And I really wasn't very happy. I, I always I always like to say I was living and working behind a slab of wood and, um, you know, not, not, not living my true authentic self. And I saw the movie The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling across South America, relying on the kindness of strangers. And there was something about that movie that touched a, a, a nerve inside me. It touched my soul. And I saw here was a man, again, romanticized version of Che, but here was a man who said to his father, I'm not going to become a doctor. I'm going to go out and live. This is what I'm going to do. And I sensed freedom in his heart and freedom in his soul. 
And even though it was a piece of art, I, I thought if he can do it, I can do it. And what I try and share with people today in my life is if I can do it, you can do it. Um, so that's really where it started from. Before that, had you done much traveling? You know, as a kid, were you traveling growing up or was this kind of the beginning of even your desire to travel? Look, I'd done a little bit of traveling. I lived in England and obviously when you live in Europe, it's easier to travel in the sense that there were so many countries nearby. I would spend time in Greece. So yes, I had done some traveling, but not to the degree that I do now. You weren't a professional traveler at that point. You were traveling more just on a lark every once in a while versus now making it the biggest thing in your life, basically. Yes, exactly. So when you saw the Motorcycle Diaries and you know you mentioned, okay, this sparked something in me. I'm seeing this person do that and I, I want that for myself. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to feel the same way or you know, maybe it's not through the Motorcycle Diaries. Maybe it's through coming to your website. Maybe it's through listening to this podcast. And that's what we try to get people to do. But how did you then take that step? Because that's the biggest obstacle, I think, for a lot of people. They they know they want to do it, but then they don't ever actually go and do it because that's the hard part. So how did it kind of work its way out for you to go from being a broker to now doing all the stuff that you're doing? You know, I, I would say simply I did it because I was in so much pain that to emotional pain that to sit behind that desk and to live someone else's life and to create from uh, a, a place of negativity was too painful. And it, pain can be the greatest motivator. And that's what truly pushed me over the edge. I didn't want to wake up at 97 years old and look back at my life and think to myself, well, I've just wasted it all. I didn't touch anyone's life positively. I lived for someone else. I wasted my life. No, sorry, but pain. That's what the greatest motivator, pain. And what was the first step then that you took to get out of that? Did you actually just say, I'm quitting my job and leave that day? Or was it kind of a process that you went through? Look, it was a bit of a process. I mean, I, I didn't watch the movie and then immediately my like brain exploded and I went and did all these crazy things. It was building, and the movie was the final thing that, you know, the, 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 the fuse. I lit the fuse with the movie, and there was no going back from that point. What was then your first kind of big adventure that you took after the movie and after you decided, hey, this isn't the life for me. I'm not going to live life for someone else. I'm going to live it on my own terms. What was the first thing that you did then to get out and to do that? Basically, I came up with an idea. Well, actually, I kind of stole it from Che. Um, and I decided to travel around America on $5 a day, relying on the kindness of strangers. And that's, that's how it all began, really. That's how the, the, the true essence of, of my message and my mission began, was on that journey. What was then the hardest part of that? Because, I mean, it sounds great, right? People listening are like, Wow, an amazing project. You came up with this idea, $5 a day, you made it, you know, this and that. And then you went on to do it in, in other regions of the world as well. And you can touch on that. But when you first started, there had to be some fear there, I assume, that either you weren't going to make it or, you know, no one was going to take you in or it's just going to be a whole bust and you're going to come back to London. Absolutely. Of course. There was a, a tremendous amount of fear. The way that I I, I bypassed the fear was to try not to think too much about it 
Because if I think too much about it, if you think too much about what you're going to do, you often fear paralyzes us. So we have to find a way to bypass that fear. And ultimately, when we find ourselves in it, it's too late because we've already started the journey. So we're not bypassing the fear by not feeling it at all. We are feeling it, but we're not allowing the feelings to stop us from doing what we want to do. Yeah, I think that's a a great point. And you called that adventure, you know, the amazing adventures of a nobody. And then you went, you did that through America. And what were some of the, I guess, the biggest takeaways from doing that? Some of the lessons that you learned from that first trip? I mean, was it easier? Was it harder? Did you come close to quitting? You know, what, what did that kind of coalesce in your mind as when you were finished the the project look you mentioned about quitting absolutely i thought about quitting absolutely i thought about giving up it's not easy nothing in life that is really worthwhile and really inspires you to be a better human being is easy um that's why there are so few people out there that are truly living full lives because it's not easy it's easy to sit behind a desk and again, I don't want anyone who sits behind a desk to think there's anything wrong with sitting behind a desk because there isn't. Some great people sit behind desks and inspire others and live great lives. Me, as, as an individual, didn't like sitting behind a desk. You know, but there were so many moments. There were good things that happened along that journey. There were bad things that happened. There were people that I met who, were, who inspired me and opened my heart. There were people that I met that, 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 that you know, I had to deal with rejection on a on a daily basis, on a minute by minute basis. So yeah, it was the good things and bad things. But isn't that what happens in life? And it's about how you deal with those things. One of my favorite historical figures is Winston Churchill, and uh, he has a really famous quote. Uh, and he says that if you find yourself walking through hell, keep walking. And what I take that to mean is when when bad things happen, don't give up. That's when you have to stand strong. And that doesn't mean that you can't be emotional. It doesn't mean that you can't cry. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be in a bad place. It doesn't mean that you can't give up for a moment. But generally, just keep going. Keep going. What were some of the most vivid memories from that first trip? Because you mentioned there were times that you felt rejected. You mentioned there were times that people inspired you. Can you give us an example of maybe the two sides of the coin during that trip? Sure. I think one of the most inspiring um, moments I had, and, and this is really inspiration based on someone's kindness, is that uh, I was in Indianapolis and I was sitting on a bench and I ended up chatting with this lady and, and I told her about what I was doing. And she said, well, if you want to, to go to Chicago today, I'll give you my only set of keys. Um, Chicago is about three hours away from Indianapolis and you can stay in my house. And I said to her, well, hold on. What about you? Or what are you going to do? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm in Indianapolis and I've got a wedding to go to, but just go, go to my house. There's chili in the fridge and just stay there. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Like, are you being serious? Like, you don't even know me. Like, why? Why? She's like, you look like a nice man. I'm like, all right. So I ended up staying the night in her house um, and the next day put the keys in the flower pots. And it was, you can't have an experience like that and not come out of it changed in some way. It's the power of human connection and it's the power of connecting with people and connecting with ourselves. Too often we, you know, we think we're a connected society and we are, I mean, Twitter, Facebook, you know, here we are having uh, this, this session on Skype. It's very connected, but... Are we truly connected? 
you know, when we're on our phones, are we connected? I, I'd, I'd say no. I'd say the fact that I can connect with someone face to face is such a powerful and intrinsically human thing. And it's so important not to lose that. And my journeys around the world have shown me how truly happy people are those people who are connected, whether it be to a community, whether it be to family. And that's what these journeys have, have, have uh, really inspired in me. And I try and share it with others. And you said you asked me to mention some of the negative things that happened. Yeah, because I think that there's also lessons in that. And I think the really cool thing, just to touch on the inspiring one, what's so neat about the lady giving you the keys, too, is that she probably has no idea that you're sitting here today telling me this story and then, you know, all these people will listen to on the podcast. She did it because it was a nice thing to do, didn't expect anything from it, probably didn't even know how much it touched you and may not ever know how much it touched you. But it, it's something that you've taken with you, you know, years in the future now and are still talking about as one of these examples of, of the goodness of people. It's a very good point. And it, it goes back to the power of human connection. It's not just a, a one-time thing when you're with someone and uh, it, it's, it, it reverberates, it ripples. And her little act of kindness inspired me. And here I am, as you say, talking to you. And who knows, maybe one of your listeners will be, will be inspired by what she did for me. And uh, it continues. Yeah, it's pretty neat how that works. And people mention, you know, the pay it forward type thing. And you've done a little bit of that. And I want to get into that in just a moment with paying it forward and, and the next project that you did after this this one where you went around the US for five dollars. But I do want you just to touch on maybe not a negative aspect of your first trip, but something that was challenging. You mentioned you faced rejection and you had to learn to deal with rejection. I think a lot of times people don't try something because they're scared that the rejection is going to hurt. And once you get rejected once or twice or three times, you realize this isn't that big of a deal. Like, who cares? I go on about my way and I try to figure something out. Was there a moment on this first journey where you had to deal with the re rejection? You came to the realization of like, all right, I'm going to get rejected, but it's okay because it's all part of a bigger thing. Look, I, I will tell you very clearly that the rejection aspect of it was the, one of the most difficult parts of it. It is not easy to go up to people day in, day out and be rejected. Even though I am doing it to myself, I chose this. No one told me to do this. I'm doing it and I only have myself to blame. I'm still a human, it's a human being. I still have feelings and, and, and when I'm rejected, it hurts as it does in life. But you know, your point about how when you get rejected over and over again, it becomes easier, yes, but also no. Because it's not easy to be rejected. It's like, you know, we're, we're delicate creatures. We're delicate beings. And, and to, 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 to be rejected, even for something small, kind of can trigger something big that happened maybe in our childhood or, or maybe we had an argument with our girlfriend or whatever. It's, it's, it's a delicate. We're delicate. We're very delicate. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. And I do think that even if it still hurts, I guess it becomes, I guess you're less scared of getting rejected. You know, maybe you know it's going to be, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt your feelings, but you're not as scared of doing it. And I, I felt at least that it's a little easier for me to keep doing it then, 
even if it is going to hurt because I realize it's not going to break me. You know, and I think that's a that's an important point too. Break you, and you ultimately always find that one angel, that one one person that will give you the keys to her house. So, Leon, then was there a time? with the rejection that we're talking about that you can pinpoint during this trip, something that, that you remember very vividly from this first adventure? I would say there was a moment again in Indianapolis, actually, the night before I met this lady, where I was uh, walking in downtown Indianapolis very late at night. And uh, I found myself in a little bit of a, an awkward situation with this chap who uh, refused to let me pass. Uh, it's a bit weird, but he over exaggerate this but i can't think of a better word he kind of this is the wrong word to use i am but i can't think of anything else he kind of kidnapped me for about like half an hour he wouldn't the guy wouldn't let me wouldn't let me leave and i i felt threatened i dealt with the situation but ultimately i had to get a passerby to call the police and um the police came and they they you know they i left but that was really the only time where i felt threatened I think that's interesting that that situation happens. This thing that, uh, you know, if your first trip or, or any any trip you take and you're by yourself and you're putting yourself out there and you're vulnerable, this happens. And then the very next day, you have, you know, the nicest lady in the world giving you your keys. And all of a sudden you're thinking, how did I go from this to this in a span of 24 hours? You know what? I've never thought of it like that, but that's a really good way of putting it. It was like the worst thing that happened and then the best thing that happened all within the space of a day. Yeah. Someone's trying to tell you to keep going on, I think. And we mentioned the pay it forward idea that that we were discussing. And you did a, a project then after you went across America on the kindness of others, you wanted to give back. And so you did a project called the Kindness Cab, right? That was your next kind of adventure here. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because now you're flipping the tables a little bit. Yeah, basically what I did was I purchased a vintage English taxi and I drove it from New York City to the Hollywood sign in LA, retracing a lot of my steps from my original journey. And I would give free cab rides to people. So they could call the kindness cab hotline and uh, I would pick them up. (laughs) and so i mean a a really cool idea something i i wish i had thought of myself just amazing what was the genesis of of the kindness cab well i i wanted to to give back um to to the communities that had given back to me and i love adventure and i'm a little bit quirky and i i seem to like buying vintage vehicles off the internet without having seen them or test driven them. So for some reason I do that. So you do the kindness cab and what did you kind of learn from that experience? Cause now you are the one, you know, giving of yourself. And, and of course the people who are passengers are also, you know, probably sharing with you just as much as you're sharing with them. But your idea is I'm going to give back. So you're on the other side of the, of the coin. Now you're giving back to these people. What did you learn from, from doing the kindness cab? One of the most important things I learned was the power of listening. In, in, in so many situations in life, we do not listen. And as a cab driver, I know there are a lot of cab drivers that talk a lot, but I was one that listened. If you just give the gift of listening to someone, it can really give them a, a boost. It can really, uh, we need to be heard. We need to be seen just to be compassionately listened to. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I think a lot of times people think they're listening and aren't listening or or you know like you're there and someone's speaking to you but you're not actively listening. And I know that when I am in the presence of someone who does do that, you can almost feel it. I mean, it's a sense that the other people, the other person or people are invested in you. And I, I assume that that's what you were trying to do with the kindness cap. Basically, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. And th- this idea of kindness, you know, a permeating theme of your travels, I think even more than adventure and travel itself, you know, you're wrapping yourself with this mission and this this theme of kindness. Did you always believe in the goodness of others or did you feel like when you were in London or when you were working as a broker that that was missing or was it just dormant? Uh, look, I, I don't think that I was in as in tune as I am now with the uh, underlying goodness of humanity. When you're working in, a, in the financial world, goodness isn't necessarily the currency that you deal with. But as I continued doing these journeys, I realized that at base, we pretty much, most of us, do have this goodness inside us. And some, some don't. And that's okay. That's all right. But as a species, ultimately, I think we're more uh, attuned to goodness than evil. But the news media tends to magnify the darkness. Um, and there is darkness. Don't get me wrong. I've seen it. I've experienced it. There is darkness. But there is also a lot of light out there and a lot of goodness, a lot of good people. And maybe we should start magnifying the light instead of the darkness. And I think that's one of the neat things that you do with your site and, and with the publicity that you get is that it is all wrapped up with this positive message. I mean, you can't come to, to your site or see an interview that you do or listen to an interview that you do without hearing this hey, I'm doing this on the kindness of others or through the kindness of others. I'm giving back. And your latest project, Kindness One, and then the book, The Kindness Diaries that you just put out in December, that's bigger than your other adventures because now you took on the whole globe. So can you kind of dive into that story and why you decided to say, ah, yeah, I've been across America a few times with kindness. Now we're going across the world. Uh, Yes, I basically took a vintage yellow motorcycle And I crossed the world from Los Angeles all the way to Los Angeles, relying on the kindness of strangers again, but this time with a twist. Unsuspecting Good Samaritans received a life-changing gift. And how did that work? Well, I would go up to people, I'd tell them what I was doing. I'd say, look, I'm traveling around the world relying on the kindness of strangers. And a lot of people would say, wouldn't want to help, and that's okay. There's no expectation. Some people would help. And if I felt like I could truly be of service to them um, and truly affect their lives in a positive way, I would offer them something that, that would uh, shift the way that they were living. If you could speak to some of it, what were some of the examples of that, that, that shift that you gave people? I had the uh, good fortune of um, meeting a chap in Pittsburgh uh, I, had, I had spent a lot of time trying to find a place and no one would help. And again, no expectations. But still, again, I'm human and it's difficult when you get rejected. Um, and the, I ended up asking him, I, you know, can I stay in your house? And he looked at me like I was mad, like they all do. And uh, he said, well, I would let you stay in my house, but I'm homeless. 
So I felt a lot of shame. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this social experiment and this chap is homeless and I just asked him to stay in his house. But it turned out that he was one of the kindest men I've ever met, if not the kindest man with a, with a really kind soul. And I ended up sleeping on the streets of Pittsburgh with him. Uh, he fed me. He um, protected me at night. Um, and he, he uh, actually gave me some clothes uh, for my journey. And the next morning, and he taught me, True wealth is not in our wallets, but it's in our hearts. And the next morning I was, I was like, look, I have to help this guy. I just have to. I just like, I have to help him. He had no idea I was going to help him and I have to help him. So I ended up uh, having the honor of putting him up in an apartment and uh, sending him back to school to become a chef. He'd always wanted to be a chef. So that was, that was one way that uh, I, I was able to be of service. And during this this whole journey, first, how long did the actual Kindness One journey last? And I, I kind of want to dig in a little bit to the logistics of it too, because you know you say, "Hey, I went around the world on a motorcycle, on a yellow motorcycle." People are thinking, "How is that possible?" So, how long did it last? And and how did you you know find your way around? Did you have an itinerary? All that kind of stuff. Sure, the journey took uh, just over five months, and the logistics uh, were. Minorly challenging. I had no money, but before I left, I obviously I had to pay for the visas, so I did. I paid for that. I had to pay for the carnet for the motorbike, which is like the passport of the motorbike, and I had to find my way across two oceans. So prior to leaving, I, I went on the internet, found all the uh, shipping companies. Uh, that crossed the Atlantic Ocean from the East Coast to Europe. And I called them all, and they all said no, except one. And they said yes, and they gave me free ride across the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. Wow, and it was all just from from telling about your story and telling them what you were doing. Yes, and look, bear in mind, I called maybe 30 companies, and they all said no. So it wasn't like I said, okay, I'm going to cross the world. And then all of a sudden, everything fell into place and I crossed the world. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's like life. It's difficult. It's not easy. But you've got to just keep going. Just never give up. Just don't give up. If you follow that one rule, which again is Winston Churchill, never, never, never give up. If you follow that one rule, you will reach your destination. And I think there's lots of people out there who want to do a similar thing, maybe not the kindness one journey, but they want to do something big. They want to do something crazy. They want to break away. Now, like you were talking about how you wanted to when you first lived in London and you thought this isn't for me, but they have all types of excuses. What type of advice do you give people like that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who say to you, Leon, your life's amazing. How can I do what you do? Or how can I break away and live life on my own terms? And I know it's not really a catch-all for everyone, but what are some some advice that we can give those people who want to break away but just haven't done it yet? Commitment. Commitment to yourself. Commitment to living as full a life as you possibly can. And a commitment to sharing that life with others. It's very easy. And, and, and you know, and we're sitting here and we're talking about this and, and people may think, oh, you know, it's easy for him. He just went out and, and did this and blah, blah, blah. And it's easy to think that I don't have bad days. It's easy to think that I don't give up sometimes. I do. You know, it's like it's it's not life is not easy. But going back to the issue of, of what people can do. Look, 
I went and I jumped off a cliff. You don't have to jump off a cliff. You can if you want to, but you don't have to jump off a cliff. You can take baby steps. If you, let's say, for example, an example I often use, you know, if you're a mother, you're a single mother, um, you've got a job, you've got to look after your kids, you've got really not a lot of time. How on earth are you going to live your dreams? Well, you can start slowly. Let's say you want to be a chef. Go to the local library and take out a book for free on, 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 on recipes and start with your kids. You know, start um, cooking for your kids. And as time goes on, get another book and then start cooking for your friends. And, and if you're committed to that and if you're committed to your dream and you're committed to living fully, you will, if you are committed, end up maybe becoming a chef. You know, you've still, got your, you've still got your to look after your kids. You've still got things to do. But in your spare time, you can do it slowly, slowly, slowly. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Winston Churchill basically single-handedly saved Europe from the Nazis. Man has sent uh, machines to Mars. That is all through commitment. No, they would not have been able to do that if they weren't committed to what they needed to do. It wouldn't have happened. And look, sometimes commitment comes from necessity. And sometimes it comes from just a desire. But if you're not committed and you don't want it, then I sometimes say to myself, stop complaining, Leon. Stop complaining about not being where you want to be. Because if you wanted to be where you wanted to actually wanted to be, you'd find a way to get there. Yeah. I think you hit on two of the major misconceptions about living your passion or living the life you want or whatever term we want to put around it. There's two big misconceptions I always hear from people. One is that they think they have to do it all at once. And listen, if if that is what's going to work for you, if you can do it, if you can afford to do it, if if it's the right situation, the right time, whatever, jump off that cliff, go for it. But it doesn't have to be. And and I think most people, if you would ask them, the people who who are leading this unconventional life, I think you'd find that most people don't jump off the cliff, at least not this extreme, I watch motorcycle diaries, I'm quitting my job tomorrow type stuff. It becomes uh, you know, a flame that's that gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and finally you end up doing it. And I think you gave a perfect example with a chef. And I think that's a huge misconception is that everyone just, I'm going to up and go, and that's the best way to do it. Doesn't have to be. And I think the other part is that so many people worry about where they want to be without even looking at where they are. Like you said, you know, sometimes you sit there and you think, well, I want to be here and I'm not here. And sometimes that's maybe because you're not committed enough. Sometimes maybe it just takes some time. And I think a lot of people assume that when they make the leap, everything's going to be okay. And that's not the case at all either. You still, it might be better than where you were. It might be worse than where you were, but you're working towards something better. But I think a lot of people then imagine, I'm going to get rid of this job. That's what's holding me back. Boom, they jump off that cliff. And all of a sudden they think, well, why isn't everything perfect? Well, just because you made one step doesn't mean everything is going to turn out okay. Absolutely. And you know what I found? I found that however much success you may have, not not necessarily talking about monetary success, I'm talking about life success, experience success, traveling, meeting people, living, you always can have bad days. And I have bad days. I had a bad day yesterday. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, why am I doing this? Why did I come to LA? 
what's wrong with me? Everyone else is doing this and I'm doing that. And, and, and when you get stuck in that place, you forget how far you've come. And, and you forget, like, it's, it's, sometimes it's so simple. Sometimes it's about gratitude. Seriously. Sometimes it's just about, instead of worrying about everything you don't have, just worry, not worry, just like be grateful for what one does have. Like, grateful for the, for the fact, like this morning, I was like, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm awake. You know, yesterday I wasn't in that place. I wasn't in that place to be grateful for anything, yeah? But this morning I was like, yeah, I'm grateful. Like, I'm grateful now that me and you are having this conversation. And uh, it's, it's the simple things, but, but society is, I think we're so, we have a wonderful society in so many ways. And in so many ways also, we've, we've kind of become addicted to instant gratification. We've become addicted to kind of having everything right now. We've become addicted to looking at a billboard and subconsciously thinking to ourselves, oh no, why am I not like that? And for many of us, it's, it's subconscious. Sometimes it, it, it comes into consciousness. But what, what is that? Why? Why? I do it all the time. I look at the billboard. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to be like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't be like that. Yeah. The easiest way to uh, really paralyze your productivity and make yourself have a bad day is to compare yourself to other people. You know, I'll be cruising along, great day, something comes across my thing, even if it's a friend. Oh, your friend just scored this really awesome gig as a TV show host. And you think, great for him, but wait, why isn't that me? You know, or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, boom, whatever I'm working on, the good feelings I had are gone. And I think that a lot of times what I've done in my personal life is I've I've taken these like what I call information fasts. And I've said, you know, you're going to stop reading people's sites. You're going to stop, you know, worrying about this, worrying about that, kind of disconnecting and just focusing on what you want to accomplish and what you want to do. Maybe that's traveling, you know, and sometimes traveling is a good way to do that, to pull yourself away from the daily, you know, inundation of information that we constantly have, you know, hey, I'm going to go to Cambodia and I'm going to go to an island that has no internet. Imagine, right? Imagine the horrors of that. And of course, you know, you don't have much to worry about then because there's not all this stuff that's bombarding you. Very, very true. Very true. One of one of the major issues that I know that some people who are listening are thinking, all right, they're talking about how to break away you know, that people have with leading an unconventional life is they have their friends and their family and their support system, whatever that is. People will think they're crazy for trying to do that. You know, why are you giving up a nine to five or why are you trying to do this on the side? Why don't you just worry about quote unquote normal life? Have you ever encountered that with, with your support system, with your friends and family? Absolutely. Of course. Most of us live in a comfort zone. We live there and we die there. And there are a few of us they get out of our comfort zone. And to me, one of the most important things of once you find your way out of that comfort zone, it's to inspire others without preaching. Because, you know, some people, so I talk for myself here, some people may listen to what I'm saying and think, oh, we don't, we don't believe anything you say. Fine, no problem. But there's that one person, one person. If one person listens to our conversation and feels inspired enough, to change their lives, even by a millimeter, yeah, a millimeter a day, then what me and you have done today has been worthwhile. 
the time that we've spent talking to each other has been worthwhile. Yeah, I think it's the it's the impact that you have on other people that you don't even know, like the lady that you had in Indianapolis, you know, like we could possibly have on people listening to the podcast. You know, it's doing stuff that's going to empower other people and doing it, I think you used a great term earlier, with a grateful attitude, with saying, you know, I have the time to give, to sit for an hour, and Leon has the time to sit for an hour and talk, and we're going to try to produce the best thing that we can to help inspire people to do whatever it is they want to do. Maybe it's not even really travel. Maybe they don't want to do this crazy adventures. Maybe it's something else. Hopefully, they're able to take that message and, and run with it. And I want you to talk a little bit then about the travel aspect to what you do, because obviously, that's what's started this whole thing was you saying, I want to get out from away from my job, away from this wooden slab, away from this desk. I want to see the world through my own eyes and meet people face to face. What are some of the experiences that you've had, whether it be on Kindness One, whether it be the Kindness Cab or any of the other things that you've done that really stick out to you that that might be able to paint a picture to someone who's sitting there and thinking, yeah, you know, I don't know. Is it really important for me to get out and see the world for myself? To me, travel is the school of life. The greatest education I have ever received has been whilst I've been on the road. I go out, I meet people, people who on the outside may seem different from me, yet on the inside are exactly the same as me. Um, I experience my home country, let's say America, differently when I return from my journeys. I remember I once went to Peru and I went to a... Uh, to buy some toothpaste and the shop sold one type of toothpaste and then I come to Walgreens and there's 50 types of toothpaste and you know all these little things make you more aware of the world that we live in because we don't just live in our little bubbles there are billions of bubbles, 7 billion bubbles and uh, however many humans there are and and we all have our own unique attitudes on life, yet we're all ultimately the same. And the, it, sometimes, I don't want to use the word upset, but I'll use it. It sometimes upsets me when I see the news and I see us vilifying people. And I, 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 the negativity. Again, don't get me wrong, there are bad things and there are bad people out there. There really are. But we're not helping ourselves by catastrophizing humanity. Yeah, I th- I think that that is right on. I think there's so many times that, you know, we want to sensationalize and catastrophize and do all this stuff. And then when you actually get out and you go to these places, you know, like people ask me all the time, is traveling to this area safe? Is this safe? And, you know, some places I haven't been and some places obviously are less safe than others. But typically... It's for places that I feel just as safe in as I do walk around Philadelphia. For example, I had a friend the other day say, you know, you spend so much uh, time in Thailand, you're always there. It sounds really cool. I'd like to go. But is it safe? And it it actually shocked me because I haven't even thought that question probably since the first time that I went. And it's not that they're ignorant in thinking that. They've never been. I've been a lot now. And so for me... I actually thought back to that first time when I landed and thought, hey, is it safe here? And and now that's that's funny to me. But I think getting out and doing that type of stuff is the only way we're actually going to see 
the real goodness and the real kindness that you talk about in all your projects. Yeah, yeah. And look, I've been in the same boat as you and the same boat as your friend. You ask, is it safe? Like, I've been to places and let's say I'm at a hotel, I go to the concierge and I say, is it safe to walk around? And they look at me like I'm insane. Like, yeah. But you still, you still have to ask it because ultimately, as, as humans, we need to feel safe. That's the most important thing. As kids, they need to feel safe. And as adults, we don't really lose that. We still need to feel safe. It, but it doesn't help when the media tells you that everything is turning into something not good. Right, right. And I don't know what it is about toothpaste in grocery stores, but I had Alan Carl on about, I don't know, maybe two months ago. And we talked about this exact same thing. He said, the thing that struck me, and it might have even been when he came back from Peru, maybe it was Bolivia. He said, the thing that struck me when I walked in the grocery store was that there was like 40 types of toothpastes. And here I was when I was in Peru, I could only get one. And I feel that exact same way. Grocery stores to me are the most confusing, welcome home, you know, mind mess up things that I've ever experienced when I come home because I just can't imagine the amount of choices. Because when you're in other countries, you just take the the toothpaste, right? There's one option and that's the one you get. So pretty interesting that a lot of travelers, I think, think that same way. One of the things I want to touch on too with you, because you do a lot of traveling and a lot of the stuff you do is budget travel. And that's a lot of the stuff that we do too here at Extra Pack of Peanuts. What are some of your best tips for how people can save money when they're on the road so that they can travel more and spend less while they're doing it? Look, I think obviously with the advent of the internet, I know it came out a while ago, but anyway, (laughs) the internet has enabled uh, budget traveling to to go nuts. Um, I'd I'd say one of the the tips is really to, to find good people. And once you find good people, you obviously can share costs with them. And finding good people on the road is, is, is obviously not, not, not a challenge. I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a spontaneous kind of guy. So I kind of do things like last minute, which isn't wise if you want to uh, save money on, uh, on, on tickets and stuff like that. But there are all these ticket places. You can do standby flights. You can, you can One of the best tips, actually, but you need to know who someone who works as a uh, stewardess <laughs> is, is to get buddy flights. Because they can give you free buddy flights, and that's free travel. Um, you can do courier flights as well. I know that sounds dodgy, but it's not dodgy. There's lots of things. And also, a lot of these developing nations, it's really cheap. It's really, really cheap. Like, you know, $100 there would take you 10 times as far as it'll take you here. Yeah. That's that's huge. The the picking your spots to travel to because you can save money on tickets and we talk a lot about that obviously in frequent fire miles and budget airlines and all that. But when you get on the ground, there's still some ways to save some money, but if you go to Thailand, you're going to spend infinitely less than if you're in Paris, no matter how budget you try to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I do want to ask you about the courier flights because that's interesting and not something I've done before but heard about. If someone, I assume you've done it or, or at least know people have done it, how can someone go about trying to figure something like that out? Because that seems like quite an adventure. You, you simply just Google, Google courier flights um, and uh, you'll get, uh, there's, there's a couple of sites that aren't reputable, but there's a couple of reputable sites that, you know, some people, they, they need last minute stuff and, and, and you do it that way. And, and, and it can be done very legitimately. 
what type have you had um those type of experiences like what should someone expect if they are doing something like that i will tell you that i've never been a courier <laughs> I've, I've actually thought about doing it before but i've never actually done it all right so but one I, of us one of us will have to do it and report back then yeah you you do it <laughs> okay <laughs> one of my one of my favorite questions too to ask guests that come on the show is about their travel mistakes and mishaps because people always seem to think seasoned travelers right i use that kind of in quotes have it together but in reality it's much different that i found that my travel game has slipped the more i travel because i become more lax or you know, i just forget about things it, it, you know i'm not as prepared have you had any hilarious travel mishaps while you were traveling that stick out in your mind? It's just something that you've done where you thought, oh, man, I can't believe I've gotten myself in this situation. But, you know, obviously it's worked out okay in the end. Uh, arriving in Vietnam with the yellow motorbike, knowing that they don't accept motorbikes into Vietnam and thinking to myself that I will be able to um, out charm a Vietnamese border guard to let my bike in. Uh, and uh, it ended up being the Vietnamese consulate, the US consulate who had to out-charm them, not me. But there's lots of things, getting lost in Siberia, driving on the wrong side of the road, because you're so used to driving on one side of the road. I mean, you know, things, that's what, that's what like, trouble is like. Bad things happen, you know? We're not, no one's perfect, no one. And if they are, then they're not. Yeah, I love the idea of trying to out-charm a border guard. I tried to talk someone in Singapore into letting me do that in Indonesia when I got to... And they, they were smart enough not to even let me go to Indonesia. They're like, listen, you're not going to be able to charm them. I, I still like to think in my mind I could have pulled it off, but probably not. And then with the Vietnamese border guard, everything worked out. I mean, it was probably a little bit inconvenient, but you were able to get in the country then. I, 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 well, I was, I was, but it took it took the quite a few days but they make the best stories yeah i ended up charming the americans that that worked better the american consulate they 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 were so lovely they really were well there you go we've also had a really good experience with the american consulate in bangkok so maybe it's a southeast asian american consulate thing leon what do you have then in the pipeline that people should be looking out for either personally or professionally um, well, my next journey, I'm going to be driving from the tip of South Africa to the tip of Finland. Um, and there's a life-changing twist involved in that, but that's top secret, so I can't share it with you. And that's going to happen in early 2015. What am I talking about? It is 2015. <laughs> uh, I, sorry, early 2016. Um, and uh, then the, the paperback edition of the book comes out in October. Um, and yeah, just, I just keep on plodding along. Very cool. And I want you to touch a little bit because The Kindness Diaries did just come out, guys, in December 2014. So two months ago, three months ago about, can you tell people what to expect in that book? Because that is a culmination of your Kindness One journey. Basically, it's my journey from Los Angeles all the way around the world to Los Angeles on kindness. And um, it was inspired by my watching the Motorcycle Diaries. And it's really about one man who went out and lived his dream and was inspired to do so by the kindness of others. And if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. And I really want to thank you, Leon, for coming on the show as someone who has always believed in the goodness of others. And 
I have that belief strengthened every single time I travel. I just want to say thank you for making such a public proclamation of kindness, of, of doing it and of doing such cool stuff. So if you could remind people one more time how they can come connect with you, how they can follow your adventures, and of course, how they can pick up a copy of The Kindness Diaries. Sure. They can pick up a copy of The Kindness Diaries by simply going into any bookshop or they can go to Amazon. They can connect with me um, on my Facebook page, which is at Leon Logothetis, L-O-G-O-T-H-E-T-I-S. They can Twitter me. They can go on my website, which is my name. Um, They can buy the book, The Kindness Diaries and Amazing Adventures of a Nobody from Amazon. Um, They can send me an email. I always respond to messages, whatever they want. Awesome. Thank you so much. And guys, I highly recommend you check out Leon's site. It's beautifully laid out. It has some great videos of his past adventures that really sum up everything he's doing. Some great pictures there and some write-ups as well on his blog. And as always, we've got all the stuff that we mentioned in here in the show notes. You can find that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S. So if you can't remember how to spell out his last name, find the show notes there. Go grab a copy of the book. And if you like this podcast, guys, I've got two recommendations for you from our archives that you're bound to enjoy as well. We already mentioned this surprisingly. I didn't know we were going to mention him when we started this podcast, but episode 145 and 146 with Alan Carl. He rode a motorcycle all around the world for three years and who, like Leon, discusses the amazing kindness he felt from people all over the world. Also like Leon, surprised there's so many types of toothpastes. And episode 43 with Alistair Humphreys, another British adventurer who talks about his adventures, that you don't have to have these huge, grandiose missions, but you can also have micro-adventures that start in your own backyard. So check them out if you're itching for some more inspiring adventure travel stories. Leon, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks for the support. And thank you, as always, for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Until next time, happy free travels. I'll